On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. Rebecca Searle. This was her first podcast interview after hitting the New York Times bestseller list. She had done some interviews before for Press Day when it was first coming out. She did GMA. She did tons of press, but she didn't yet know that she was going to plant herself on the New York Times bestseller list. So that was exciting to get to introduce her as a New York Times bestseller. It was. It was. She was very proud and we said she should be. Yes. It's amazing. Yes. Her career just continues on its upward trajectory. Yeah, we got some great angles. I mean, she really, though, gave us, I thought, just such amazing answers. I mean, I could have talked to her mm-hmm. all day about fate versus free will, which yes. is obviously a theme in this book in five years and, and in all her books, she said. But listening to her explain it I know I I sat there and I just said like I need you to tell this to me over and over until I can internalize it right I feel like we need to listen to this episode weekly or something (laughs) yes I mean she said the words I'm not giving things away but at one point she said she's learned to unclench the hands Mm -hmm. that hold the reins of her life and I'm looking down at my own hands when she's saying it like at the death grip (laughs) And I'm thinking, yes, yes, this is what I need to do. Oh my gosh, I know. That spoke to me so much. I'm like, I need to relax a little. How is that possible? She's like self-help guru plus fiction writer extraordinaire. Yes, yes. And you loved, I know you love when she talked about where to give your attention to where the energy oh, is. Yeah. We've been I talking have, about that for days. I invoke it in my daily life since we recorded this. It is constant. And I was just thinking how she said not only like to follow the energy, but to practice acting on your intuition and practice acting yeah. on what that energy, like the energy comes at you, but you don't know what it is, right? So you have to act on it. And then, you know, you and I had a very specific example of this. I felt an energy coming at me and I interpreted it one way, which was wrong. So yeah. finally, when I said something, I, when I actually acted on it, instead of just thinking about what is my intuition telling me in this moment? My intuition was telling me actually the wrong thing. And when I acted on it, you came back to me with, oh, no, this is actually what it is. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Why I interpret it that way. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So she said, practice acting on your intuition, not just listening to it, but acting on it in small ways. And that's, you know, that's a really easy, simple example. Yeah, that's where the Glenn yeah. Doyle part comes into play. <laughs> You're right. I hope I keep coming back to this conversation because it was so helpful. And you know, of course, that we love to talk to our authors about their astrological sign, but Mm -hmm. she is really like a student of astrology. I mean, she from growing up, but also, you know, she uses 
astrological readings as a tool in her life. Mm -hmm. She said to gain clarity when she doesn't understand what's happening or which way to go. Yes. I loved that. And of course, immediately asked her for the name of her astrologer, which she will give you. So Yes, yes. But she did say she's not a huge fan of kind of the generalizations. All Capricorns are like this, which makes sense. But it is kind of a starting point for people who are just kind of curious and interested in astrology. But she goes really specifically into the deep stuff of getting a personal reading that's not just about all Capricorns you know or all uh, cardinal signs it's really specific to you and she said she writes notes down as she gets her readings and she's gone back and looked and Mary Atkins said the same thing Mm -hmm. that she's gone back and been astonished at how accurate and revealing it was. We still have to do that, Kate. We need to get on. I know. <laughs> I know. We keep saying that, but we're I a little know. afraid. Let's be honest. It is. It's um, true. You're right. Thank you. We're a little afraid. Definitely. And how about love? How about love? Just yes. a little on that. I yeah. won't. I won't give it away. But there was a line in the book that I oh uh, really right. really liked oh. about love, but. You and I weren't really sure what it meant. We yeah. debated it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, let's just ask her because it it was a line that really spoke to me, even though I wasn't exactly sure what she meant. And we were blown away by the answer. Look at you acting on your intuition there. Just like, there I, I don't have the answer here, but I know I need to ask this question. That was, That's and right. it turned out to be one of the best questions. Somehow Jennifer Aniston got involved, but yes. I'll... I'll <laughs> I'll leave that for everyone to listen to. And of course, she acknowledged Black Lives Matter movement that's going on. This was recorded before so many of the incredible uprisings that you'll see pictures of in in Los Angeles where she is. So she didn't talk a lot about it, but she did want to amplify voices and she gave a list of amazing books and authors to be following on Instagram and buying their books and supporting them. She was very passionate about that and black women authors that she really wanted to recognize. So that was that was awesome. And yes. we will have a list of those. Yeah, in the show notes. That's right. Yes. All right. Well then without further ado, we'll get to Rebecca Searle. Such a great interview. Enjoy. <laughs> Okay, so today we are joined by New York Times bestselling author, Rebecca Searle. Rebecca is the author of six novels, including The Dinner List and When You Were Mine. Rebecca is also a TV writer who co-developed the hit adaptation of her YA series, Famous in Love. She attended undergrad at University of Southern California in Los Angeles, received her MFA from the New School in Manhattan, and continues to live on both coasts proving that bi-coastal life is in her blood. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I have to make one correction in saying that I actually, unfortunately or fortunately, now live full-time in Los Angeles. So I have all of you souls who remain in New York City. I have have abandoned you. Um, And and guys, it's great. It's great. Don't tell Corinne that. She's been back and forth between the coasts and is very conflicted. So don't don't tip the scales for us here. Listen, I did it for about four and a half years, and then you get to a point where you just want to know where your genes are, yeah. you know? Like, I was like, I just, I want to know where my stuff is. <laughs> Meanwhile, all my stuff is still in a in a storage unit in Hollywood, so I don't, I don't, I mean, it's been eight months. But anyway, I live in LA now. 
oh my gosh. Wow, that's a bold declaration. You're just saying it. Yeah, that in is. LA. I'm a, a Los Angelino. I don't know what we're supposed yeah. to be called here. Yeah, that's Angelino. Angelino. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here with us. We are talking today, of course, about your novel, In Five Years, which follows Danny Cohen, a high-powered corporate lawyer who has everything planned out. After landing her dream job and getting engaged to her longtime boyfriend, all according to her five-year plan, she falls asleep and wakes up five years later in a different apartment with a different ring on her finger in bed with a different man. After a very confusing hour, Danny wakes up again back in her normal life. But as we follow her life through those next five years, she can't shake that dream or maybe a premonition. So I want to tell you that In Five Years was the first book I was able to finish during the quarantine. And it's just the perfect story. It's sexy, that dream, so perfect. It's compelling and it's equal parts heartwarming and heartbreaking in the best ways. Thank you guys so much. Thank you for reading. I love that Danny is always in control of everything. That really speaks to both of us. Uh, her job, her relationships, her future. I loved watching this analytical planner grapple with this premonition and the idea of fate. It's so foreign to her and that made it all the more exciting to watch unfold. She is, in my view, the perfect combination of numbers and feelings. Wow. Can you please start blurbing my books? Yeah. That's a great that's- <laughs> That's really excellent. That's really excellent. <laughs> I love it. Throughout the book, up until the very last beautiful lines of the story, we see Danny wrestling with this dream or premonition that she's had, telling herself that she has a choice and it doesn't have to come true the way she sees it, but then also really watching it unfold in front of her eyes. Okay, full disclosure, you are talking to two people that are part Danny Cohen and part Rebecca Searle. <laughs> We are lawyers in Manhattan, so total type A control freaks. We are also writers, committed students of astrology, and friends who have had so many bizarre, inexplicable, fateful encounters that brought us together. And because of that dichotomy that we have in our lives, we need to hear you talk about fate versus free will. That is so lovely. And I love that there were so many, I love that there's so much faith that brought you guys together and that you feel that way about your friendship. That's really, really, really beautiful. I, and now I'm so intrigued by that. I forgot the question. (laughs) (laughs) Is this something that interests you, fate versus free will? And and is it something you think is actually always at play? Absolutely. In all of my books since uh, my first novel, When You Are Mine, which is a modern retelling of Romeo and Juliet from Rosalind's point of view, Romeo's ex, all of my books have been about this dialogue between fate and free will. How much is in our control and how much is going to happen regardless of what we do and regardless of the action we take. And I think that it's really the central question of the human existence that I am so interested in exploring, which is like, is our life predetermined Mm -hmm. by a future that has perhaps already occurred and the actions that we're taking in the present are, are in order to bring forth and evoke that future that has already crystallized or the actions we're taking in our present drawing that future does that future not exist yet and are we determining what it's going to look like and all my books to 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 one extent or another really sort of define and discuss that question i don't anticipate ever finding an answer so i imagine um you know at least not in this life so i imagine that i will probably continue to dialogue and, and, 
even talk about that. Oh, thank goodness for us. I know. I mean, this uh, we we have lots of questions, but we could literally talk about this issue of faith versus free will for the entire time because it is also so personal. We we are sort of a concrete study in this theme. As individuals, we're both, as we said, intense planners who attempt to control lots of aspects, maybe all aspects of our lives. But it does seem, like we said, that fate has had a hand in our relationship. We went to high school 100 miles outside of New York City on Long Island, me on the South Fork, her on the North Fork. We visited each other's schools for sports. But we happened to meet for the very first time on the ferry on our way to Boston College for freshman orientation. We didn't see each other the whole weekend, but then we were on the same ferry home together. And we only bumped into each other once during all of freshman year. And then lo and behold, we were living directly across from each other sophomore year. And then for the next three years, you know, we were very friendly, but, you know, much more acquaintances than than great friends. And then we went to the same law school. <laughs> but Kate, I took a year off and Kate went right from college. We connected in law school, but completely lost touch when we were in the big law trenches. Years later, we met up again randomly, not at a lawyer event, but at a an event for one of our favorite authors. After that, we never lost the thread again, but it would be years before we teamed up, started doing this. So we can't deny that there are forces that seem to be outside of our control, but that's very disconcerting. <laughs> How do you balance the trying and the letting go? You seem to have a much better handle on those two forces and, and knowing that they're always in play. Well, first of all, I love that. My best friend, a woman named Raquel Johnson, her name's actually now Raquel Barrett, but I refuse to use her very name because I think that's ridiculous. Yes. Our families used to vacation on like the same beach when we were little from the time I was probably like five, I would say, to the time I was maybe 12. And we didn't meet, I should say we met in college 20 years later. But I really love the idea that we were just these little kids kind of playing next to each other and that we had no idea the ways in which our lives were going to come together in this really meaningful way many years down the road. So I don't have a full answer to that. But what I will say is that I have learned over time to sort of like unclench the hands that hold the reins of my life. Mm -hmm. It does not bring me a lot of happiness to to hold extremely tightly to a plan that wants to depart. That is not that is not I don't think it brings any of us. And, And the thing about life, particularly the older you get and think about plans is that they tend to want to depart frequently. Mm-hmm. And I think the more comfortable we can get with that departure and the more comfortable we can get with actually recognizing what wants to come into our life, what wants to be here, I think the happier we'll be and the more peaceful our lives will be. So I'm less interested now these days in determining like a course for my life and thinking about what it is I want. And I'm more interested in dialoguing with what's actually coming into my life, what's actually present, what actually has energy in my life and giving that my attention because mm-hmm. that's where that, I mean, that's where the good things are that's where the work is that's where the evolution is i would sort of be remiss not to say that we are three of us white women reporting this at a moment in time that yeah. um we are we are having a cultural reckoning that is long 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 overdue mm-hmm. and i can do it now or i can do it later but i have a list of black women authors that i would love to highlight in this if you want to read this five years that's great i would love to also give you my list these women some of them are my friends and 
colleagues and books that I love. But I think that I think it's really causing a lot of us to look at our lives, to look at what we take it for granted, the way we planned our lives and what we think is true about our realities and just pay some fucking attention yeah. to what's actually going on. I'm hopeful that some of the work I have done will sort of humbly make me able to be a better ally and advocate and listener during this time. The work of, of beginning to maybe broaden my horizon and not just yeah. see this one way of living. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Taking it beyond your own five-year plan, mm-hmm. but but maybe the world or society or your community, something else bigger than you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we are a podcast that talks about complicated women. So we do want to talk about the two complicated women at the center of In Five Years. We talked a little bit about Danny, and clearly she's a planner. She knew she wanted to be a lawyer at the age of 10 when she started reading contracts for her dad's lighting company. She loves the pure, non-negotiable truth of legal language. She calls it poetry with actionable power. She thinks two years is the right amount of time to date before you live together. She plans to marry her boyfriend at the age of 30 and spend summers in the Hamptons when she's not in the office. She has the vision and is willing to put in the work to see it through. Danny can also be defined as everything her other half, her best friend Bella, is not. We're introduced to Bella as blue-eyed, blonde-haired goddess making a goofy face on Danny's phone. Bella is spoiled, mercurial, and more than a little bit magical. She's the easiest to love and gives love freely, but she's fragile too, as you wrote. As the book progresses, we see these two women moving closer towards the other side. Bella wants to settle down a little bit while Danny is less invested in seeing her plans through as she first envisioned them, probably because as she achieves her goals and sort of ticks those boxes, she realizes it doesn't feel as right as she wanted it to or imagined. We know that this kind of friendship between two very people different people makes for a good story but do you find that opposites attract in romantic love in friendship I think it's an interesting question and I think part of the reason that Bella and Danny admittedly are so close is that they met when they were very young mm-hmm. before sort of life and circumstance take over and in a lot of ways tend to jealous together with people who are more like-minded so in some ways think that opposites attract but I also really kind of feel like like attracts like and I think it just depends I mean Bella and Danny are two fundamentally different human beings but they have one very important thing in common which is that they are very understanding of the way to prioritize their friendship and their relationship and I think in addition to being about fate and free will the other thing that all of my books I hope to some extent and I hope that certainly uh, in five years in the dinner list prioritizes female friendship and the ways in which yeah. women can and should and do show up for each other and how challenging and complicated that gets as we grow and as we get older and we start to make different choices. I think when we're younger, we are in grade school and then we are in high school and then, you know, some of us go to college and things begin to depart a little bit more. And then some of us, you know, take jobs in different cities or have different careers that have uh, more demanding schedules. Some of us decide to lead artist existence. Some of us get married and decide to be mothers and so I think like the path really begins to diverge in a big way and that's when I said earlier you start to find yourself in more homogenous groups of women who are you know all have babies who are 10 months old or all are you know whatever it is and for my friends and I it's very important that we continue to prioritize our friendship even though our lives look so different than one another's now even though in a lot of ways our priorities are very different we somehow managed to continue prioritizing our friendship, even in moments when we didn't, right? Like even in moments where like somebody had a new baby or I was promoting a book or something like it was just kind of impossible. 
we have managed over time to come back to the table. And so I think that Danny and Bella definitely have that in common. They both, they both understand the rarity of what they share together. Yes. And I think that's what makes them friends. Yes. We're going to talk more about that. We're going to come back to, to the way you draw well-developed women in, in a lot of aspects. But we wanted to talk a little bit about you as a writer as well. So on March 18th, you wrote on Instagram, 10 years, six novels, and today I am a New York Times bestselling author. Oh, congratulations on that. I mean, I was just so excited um, for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And just, yeah. Thank You've you said so that that writers need to take a long view of their careers. Obviously, you're you're living that. We've also heard you say that to be a true artist, you have to be aware of the business of publishing and the market. As two people with very pragmatic professional experience, this sounds like excellent advice to us. But we often hear the opposite, you know, when you're writing, ignore the market, forget about the business, you know, write what you love. So we want to hear more about this and in particular what you might have been paying attention to as you wrote in five years. First of all, thanks for doing your research. I, we are lawyers. I, <laughs> yeah. I believe, I, believe yeah, I do. I believe both of those things, right? Like I believe that I believe one thing I believe is that you should be educated about the sphere in which you exist. So if you are a writer and a novelist, you should be educated about publishing. What's happening in publishing? What are some of the trends that are happening in publishing? What's selling? How does the system work? People ask me often whether I always wanted to be an author. And the truth is, I didn't really know what an author was until I moved to New York City. I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I had no idea how publishing worked or what that might even look like. So I think you really need to be educated, educated, excuse me, about the industry in which you like you work and want to make your life. And so in that way, I do recommend understanding, understanding markets. On the other hand, I stand by what I was saying earlier, which is that you have to pay attention to what has energy in your life. So if you're working on something, you think like, well, so and so sold for a lot of money. And this thing has been on the New York Times bestseller list. And this idea is similar, but it doesn't feel like there's any energy there. It doesn't feel like that's the book that really wants to get written. Then by all means, abandon that. Like go where something is calling you because that's again, it's your life saying like, Hey, pay attention. Like this is the direction that I want to move in. And that is always going to elicit the best results. It's always going to elicit the results that move your life forward. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a mix. And I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it's easier for us to hear that in, I'll call it intuition for lack of a better way to put it. I wish yeah. it is. By the way. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's easier for us to hear that intuition when we have the rest of our, our house sorted, right. Where we understand we understand publishing. We understand what publishers do. We understand what editors do. We understand what agents do. Like we have all of the information. Then we can allow that like instinct to come forward and to direct us how we're going to move. But I think it's more difficult for instincts to take over when we're confused about right. what, mm -hmm. you know what our world, what our what our system is, what's happening. So, so I think education is very important. And then in addition, I live my life according to my intuition. Like all, every big decision I have ever made has come from just the, uh, like sort of whatever is resounding yeah, uh, like at the top of my stomach. Yeah. Oh, I love this. I know. I know. <laughs> it sounds so good. It's very hard, it, by the way. Very hard. I, I hear it. And I just am like, we just did Untamed uh, on the podcast by Glennon Doyle. And oh my God. But you should have, you should listen because it was like me on the couch being like, but Corinne, how do I do this? I know. What she's saying makes so much sense, but how do I trust it? How do I do it? So, but I will tell you that the more often you practice, the yeah. easier it becomes. Yeah. And, and, and by practice, I don't mean practice listening, I mean practice 
acting on the thing that you hear. You have to do the work of taking the action. And yes. when you get better at doing, of hearing and taking the action, it becomes much easier to follow because you begin to trust the results. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love that. Love it. Really great actionable advice. Better mm-hmm. than a vision board. <laughs> it's important. And I also think it's a skill that is accessible to all of us. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's part of what it means to be human. Yes. So on this podcast, we discuss the books, TV shows, and movies that we love, but we also celebrate the women behind them. And something we always try to include is the astrological sign of our authors. Again, our research tells us that you're a Capricorn. Yes? Indeed, I am. Okay. I'm, actually a, I'm actually a Capricorn. I'm a double Capricorn with a Taurus, with Taurus rising. Okay, interesting. Kate and I are both double. We have... She's a double Leo and I'm a double Aries. Interesting. Yes. Okay. So Capricorns often described as charming, sociable, pragmatic, and hardworking. I can't imagine any four adjectives that seem to describe you better. (laughs) I also, sometimes, (laughs) I also went to a reading of three women where Lisa Tadeo was being interviewed by Katie Couric and she said that basically they were the best because they're both Capricorns. Yeah, I, I Capricorn women are cool, and the other cool thing about us is that we tend to um, get like younger as we get older. Not not in the way we look. That's all I'm talking about. In in sort of our like, I used to wear sweater sets when I was in like elementary school, and I was like very, I was very Danny. And I think over time, I've 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 let go a lot. So it's that is a that is a fun cool thing about Capricorn women, I think in particular, and not it's a little bit unusual because I think. Yeah. You know, sometimes like the world can make us like button up more. As yes, well. yes, but you're getting freer. Yeah, I, I love that. that. Well, I'm a Capricorn moon, so that's my oh. inner life. I'm trying to practice it. <laughs> as a Capricorn, you're also one of the four cardinal signs of the zodiac. Are you familiar with that? I don't. I you know what I've had a lot of astrology readings, and it's something. It's like a tool I really love, but I don't yeah. know if I'm super familiar with what that means. Yeah. So these are the signs that start every season. Aries kicks off spring. Cancer starts summer, Libra, fall, and Capricorn is the first sign of winter. Cardinal signs are known as the initiators. They are idea people and they are ambitious. Those two qualities combine to keep them one step ahead of the crowd, but they have a strong need to control everything that's happening around them. Deeply. Does, does that sound right? Oh, I'm a very bad collaborator. And I say that, <laughs> I say that, I say that really often to like all, to like the members of my team. I'm not very good at it. I try to work on it because I do think it is important, but it's not my strong suit. It doesn't come naturally or easily to me. I am always like, but I see how to do it. And I, it, yeah. my way is yes. way. Right. I mean, so, we also heard, I read that you come from a spiritual household and that your mother was very into astrology when you were young. So I assume this is already from what you're saying that this is something you're interested in. Do you identify with your sign and does astrology sort of ever play into your writing? Yes, I come from a very spiritual household. My my mother and, you know, my dad by, by, by his heart and also by virtue of living with her for 40 years is also... Astrology is a tool that I use in my life. I don't know if it plays into my writing, but maybe insofar as, I mean, you know, my, I don't, there's not much differentiation between my work and my life. It's all just, it's all just my life. My work is my life. 
So I think in that way, but I, but astrology has definitely been a tool that I've used over the years to just gain clarity in moments where I feel like I don't understand what is happening or I'm not sure in what area to move. I think there are times in my life in which I have a lot of clarity about what needs to happen. All of us, you know, have times we have a lot of clarity and then there are times in which I just feel like I don't, I really don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm having a harder time connecting with like, you know, that intuition that we were talking about prior and, I'm not sure. And I find that astrology is a really excellent tool just to get to some context. Yes. In fact, I have a friend who's, who's, who's uh, going through something particularly challenging right now. And I said to her, you know, I really think it would be really wonderful for you to talk to this astrologist. I think it would be really helpful. Her name's Kira, by the way. Shout out to Kira. If anyone would mm-hmm. like Kira's information, please get yeah. in touch with me. That's how we do it. Mm-hmm. I never answer DMs on Instagram, but if you would, if you, I, I want to support her and her business. So I would love that information. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I was saying to her, like, you know, I really think astrology would be very helpful in in adding some context. So I do find it to be. And also, when I look back at reading this, because a lot of them will be like, sometimes they're over the phone and they'll be taped, as you guys know, or like I'll take notes if they're in person. I, it's kind of extraordinary to map like what it is that they, that they have said and what they've shared with me. I am less of a believer, I think, in sun, in any sort of like massive ruling in terms of sun sign. And I, I, I like the idea of your chart as a, scientific specific thing that to me i think is very valuable i think like capricorns look like a lot of different things yeah. but yeah i love astrology yeah yeah i love that another thing i think you love Nora Ephra. So one of your epigraphs for in five years consists of two sentence fragments coming over the bridge to manhattan pie These are two of the items that Nora says she will miss in her 2010 book I remember nothing We didn't know exactly what she was talking about at that time, but two years later when she passed away with leukemia, we know that the lists were intentional, talking about what she would miss and not miss in her life. We love Nora Ephron. And when when Hallie met Sari, when (laughs) Harry met Sally, was one of the inspirations for this podcast. Yeah, she's amazing. I love her. Yeah, and we always ask our authors what complicated women inspire them, but we wanted to ask you more pointedly, what does Nora Ephron mean to you and what do you love about her? I think in the idea, as you mentioned, that that was an essay that we all read. She knew she was very sick at the time. We did not. We didn't really find that out, I think, until maybe like a week before she died. And I I think that there's something really sort of like, as you were speaking to, like very poignant about that. And I think it relates to the book as well. This idea of like, this thing is coming. Yeah. We know what it is. We have a sense of what it is. But it's sort of like hidden in plain sight. Danny has this vision of the future and sees this hour. But for everyone else, they have no idea what they're moving towards. And I think one of the main themes of the book, if not the main theme of the book, is that even if we can see what's coming, we can't see what it will mean. Mm-hmm. So even if we could see a window into our futures, it, it won't. The, the hour, and I'm not spoiling uh, anything by saying this, but the hour that Danny lives is exactly the same when she gets there in real time. So she gets there in real time. She actually lives that hour. It's identical. Like the dialogue's the same, which was a whole thing. And yet the whole, the context of it is entirely mm-hmm. different. The context yes. of it means something entirely different than what she thought it did. Yes. I think that idea plays, I think that idea plays, you know, that the idea plays super heavily in, in five years. And for some reason, that essay always really spoke to me that way. I also just like, you know, coming over the bridge to Manhattan is, um, is it? I mean, yes. as a 12-year-long New Yorker, mm-hmm. yes. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Oh, 
always it's always such a sight to see when it's dark when it's light uh, yeah it is you don't write love stories without friendship as we were talking about before and deep friendship not you know some sidekick accessory and you don't write friendship without love and career this is true for in five years and the dinner list in both of those you do a good job of making the protagonist full human beings so tell us why it's so important for you to explore these different facets of life and love I mean, I think the female friendships in my life are really tantamount to my happiness. They're like the pivotal foundational relationships in my life. I'll talk about the dinner list very briefly. So for those of you who don't know, the dinner list is about a woman who shows up to her 30th birthday dinner. And at that dinner, if you could have dinner with any five people living or dead, who would they be? Audrey Hepburn is at the table, her father who passed away when she was very young, and her ex who she had this like decade-long relationship with. So the chapters go back and forth between times of this unfolding dinner party and her love story with this particular man. And that, that book was really about, I mean, it was, it was about sort of dissecting all of the fundamental relationships in our life. So at the table is Jessica, her best friend, that's friendship. And that's probably the most pivotal and interesting to me relationship in that book, because these are two friends, unlike Danny and Bella, who are not doing a very good job of prioritizing their friendship. They're actually doing like a really frighteningly poor job of it. <laughs> and sort of all the pain and anguish of that, it, 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 it's very much like a love story. They have, they have deprioritized each other and it's, and it hurts. So there's friendship, there's family, which is her father who's there. There's romantic, which is Tobias, her ex. There is like mentorship, Conrad, her, her old professor from college, who, who features in, into the story. And then there's Audrey Hepburn, who's like, you know, celebrity or sort of like God worship or something like that. So it kind of has like, it has all five fundamental relationships in it. And it was a very interesting book to write because I was, I'm curious about the ways in which we are like sort of different people, different people to different people, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that that's one thing in five years is sort of saying, Bella says to Danny, not infrequently like i want you to really know what love is like i bella sees her and like sees who danny really is and i think danny has gotten very comfortable like performing a version of her selfhood to the world Mm -hmm. um in her relationships but she can't do that with bella probably by virtue of the fact that bella has known her since she was so young Mm -hmm. right i love that and speaking of love my favorite line in a book with tons of dog-eared pages is you mistake love. You think it has to have a future in order to matter, but it doesn't. It's the only thing that does not need to become at all. Love doesn't require a future. And I listened to this book on Audible, which I don't normally do. And I have to tell you, I stopped. Like I went to find my phone. I was like, well, I got to hear that again and rewound it and listened to it several times. And then when I had the, had the hardcover, I looked for that line and we've talked about it, Corinne and I, a lot about what it means to each of us, but we really want to hear your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Megan Hilty, by the way, for recording the yes, audiobook. Yes, it was great. She was amazing. She's really good. I did, I did my own audiobook for the dinner list and everybody hated it. It was like very poor. <laughs> don't, you don't have to say like, I'm sure that's not true because it was, it was extremely poorly reviewed. <laughs> But Megan Hilty was great. She was really, yeah, really good. So I'll never do it again. And she, thankfully, is like a super professional and just incredible. Anyway, this is actually, I, I, I should say, I should give credit to my friend, the novelist, Lauren Oliver, who, like, Before I Fall and Delirium Trilogy and a lot of really great books. She said this to me, actually, in, really, in relation to a breakup I was going through or sort of a portion of a, of a relationship that was kind of off and on for a long time. And I think I, like... 
in the moment, I don't even truly recall what it is exactly we were discussing, but I remember her saying it to me and I remember thinking like, oh my God, that's it. Like we, we are so obsessed, I think like generationally and culturally with this idea of like longevity in some way, which yeah. runs so counterintuitive to are like just minute attention spans these days. Yes. <laughs> but we we have this idea and I think like particularly when, with relationships and I think it's like it's sort of puritanical in a lot I mean it is puritanical in a lot of ways, which is that relationships and marriages are only successful if they last mm. until you die. And any type of breakup is in fact a failure. Mm. And that I think is really fascinating because it's just it's fundamentally untrue. A failure right. would be you know, a, a failure, a failure is, is many things. A failure is like staying in something that is like really like harmful and not working. A failure is not, I mean, a failure is a lot of things, but I think like coming to an understanding that like your journey was only supposed to, to last a particular amount of time and departing from it. And, and by the way, like that's it, right? A reason, a season, a lifetime. Like not everyone's meant to stay forever of all different, of all different relationships. And so I really like it's it's something it's something that she said to me it's something that I really took in it's something that I really also just happen to believe yeah in you know about love in yeah. all of its forms mm-hmm. right right I love and that. careers because I'm yeah. done with the law no <laughs> uh, no I remember hearing I want to say it was Gwyneth Paltrow but I remember some celebrity breakup and the woman was insistent that I, I refused to call like a, t- it was a 10 year. It like, was Jennifer Aniston. I think when okay. you were just saying that I was like, I think Jennifer Aniston said something she, like that. She was like, I refuse to think of this as a failure. It was a yeah. long term. Great. Like nothing was bad. It, it was just ran its course and it ended. And I refused to call that a failure. Mm-hmm. That sounds like something Jennifer. Aniston yeah. Said, yeah. Right? She's so cool. Yes. Um, it's true. Yeah. It's just true. And if the point of like human existence, which I'm fairly certain it is, the point is to grow and to evolve, then nothing is a failure. It's it's all an opportunity to grow deeper and further. And so that's not always easy when we're in the midst of heartbreak or we lose sure. someone or tragic things happen. But I think it's like a, a sort of an overarching ideal. It is something that I try to incorporate into my into my life. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. I it sat better with me than I, I think sometimes people say like it's okay to fail and maybe it is okay to fail but I like saying no this wasn't a failure this was yeah. just all it was supposed to be mm-hmm. I love yeah. that 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 thank you for that because I kind of challenged Kate I'm like what does this mean I don't know what this means and now I get it so completely you explained it way better than I did yeah. but but I knew it I, I knew it had something there I was like yes. I, I was I loved it I literally stopped you know in my tracks when I heard it so. <laughs> so in five years is also a real love letter to New York City and it happened to be a New York City that I really live. I lived in Murray Hill when I was a young lawyer. I walked from 28th and Park to 101 Park Avenue on 40th and Park. We ordered from Sarge's all the time. <laughs> I, I mean, you got everything right. I I think Kate said, was she a lawyer? Does she work like, with us? How do I mean, I have you, you really, I've read a lot of books with, with protagonists that are lawyers. You nailed, nailed. it. Like, I can't even tell you. Like, I work yeah. in big law still. You got this so right. I, I can't even tell you. That's wild. That's a, honestly, that's such a lovely compliment because I do, and I, I will admit this, I do the absolutely barest amount of research that I possibly can do because I am so disinterested. I'm like, I want to, I want to write the story. Like, this isn't a story about lawyers. It's a story right, about right, like, right. Danny. Like, I don't care. But I really tried on this yeah. one. Like, I really yeah. did. So it makes me so happy. 
to hear that. You so did. You, yeah, you you nailed it, definitely. So the book is a love letter to New York, and I am following you on Instagram, which is just a love letter to LA all the time. And it's also in LA. I know I, I lived in West Hollywood off like Fountain and La Brea. Book Soup was my bookstore. I think that you said you got a, something from them. I worked at The Wing. My husband and I lived there for three years when we were first married, and then we came back to New York. So we're just constantly bouncing back and forth. And both places feel so integral to me, but sometimes I think of that quote from Titanic where Rose's mom says to Jack, she's like, and you can't, and you find that rootless existence appealing, do you? Like, <laughs> maybe I do. Yeah, I mean, they're the two best places, I think, to be grounded in some capacity. They're really, they're really great. What's interesting about, so in hindsight, I understand that in five years was, The Dinner List is also, I will say, very much a love letter to New York, as is my second YA novel, The Edge of Falling. But in five years in particular, I think because subconsciously I understood that this was probably going to be the last book that I would write while living there. Wow. And so it's very, I mean, I will say The Dinner List and In Five Years are both fit the in five years is a very privileged New York. The dinner list is less so because the dinner list really reflects like my own sort of like twenties in New York city and where I was, you know, going then, but in five years of all of the places in those books, I frequented when I lived there and like, you know, daddy-o's is like yes. a little you know, bar in like the West village that we used <laughs> yes. to go all yep. the time after work, you know, the 700 jobs we had back in those days. And yeah. like, um, it's not Taverna is like one of my favorite Greek restaurants. I, you know, we are, we're recording this like about three something months into this quarantine. And so I'm, um, I'm hopeful that, that they'll all survive. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, they are very personal. My books are very personal in New York's to me. The interesting thing about in five years though, I will say is it was the first book. I, I had a thing where I knew for a long time I wanted to move to Los Angeles, but mm. I was very afraid that the, that my writing came from New York, that I wouldn't be able to write if I moved here. Mm. That something about that city was 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 allowing me to be able to create and it would be gone if I left. Right. And in five years, I actually wrote the majority of it in Los Angeles. Okay. It's a very New York book, but the majority of it I wrote in LA. And so I think that book also really taught me that it was okay to leave. Yeah. Oh. Wow. So you were saying goodbye to New York and writing this book. Oh. That's that's a lot of emotion. <laughs> yeah. So we know we're we're out close to out of time here, and we did want to acknowledge your activism in the Black Lives mo- uh, Movement. Can I please share yes. some? Yes. Uh, uh, please, you, please, please. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I'd love to share some books. And by the way, these are, they're all fiction. They're all really like wonderfully, like beautifully sketched worlds. Mm-hmm. So I'm a books by black women, support them, love them, fall in love with them and their worlds, follow them on Instagram. I just support black voices, support black women's voices. Yes, so, yes. so here's a reading list for everyone, for everyone listening, joyful, fun, great summer reading. Let's go. Yes. Johnny Clayton, the bells love. She's a very good friend of mine. Renee Watson, piecing me together. She has a lot. She's like, just won a ton of awards. She's a lot of, a lot of different books, some YA, some younger. Nefissa Thompson Spires. She has a collection called Heads of the Colored People. They're stories. They're brilliant. She was long listed for the National Book Award. She's wonderful. Nick Stone, Dear Martin, 
We love her. Mm -hmm. She's doing also a lot of like really amazing activist work on Instagram right now. She's incredible. Angie Thomas, The Hate You Give, yes. and also on The Come Up. I know every, like a lot of people, you know, have read The, uh, the Hate and, and watched also, I should say, The Hate You Give, but On The Come Up is also great. We hope that movie gets made. Mandy Taylor, her series Given is like, she writes kind of sci-fi fantasy, tends oh. younger, very cool word, worlds, excuse me. And then Zinzi Clemens has a book called What We Lose about dealing with a woman dealing with like the, the death of her mother and sort of like going through her mother's cancer journey that is not a memoir, but is very personal. So those are just some of a few that I just want to mention. Um, That's really great. Shout out. I think it's really important that, that we, you know, support black women creators and get them paid. So read those books. I love yeah, that. Yeah, we love Thank that. You Thank you so, so much. much. This Thank was you little... guys. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Oh, this was such a great conversation. Thank you. So everyone should be reading In Five Years by Rebecca Searle. And I, this was the first book I found of yours, and I immediately purchased your entire backlist. So I'm loving so did I. all of it. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, you guys. Thanks again. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.